Welcome to our podcast. I'm David Kramer, coming to you from Northern California. And I'm Dave Blasco from Arizona. Dave and I have been friends since the early 1980s when we were college roommates. And we finally found a medium to share our wisdom with the world, or at least our opinions. Uh, Between us, we have two engineering degrees, two master's degrees, an economics degree, and over 60 years of work experience. And we're making this podcast together to try to help each other, and hopefully you, the listener, save some money. And on this episode, we are going to talk about accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs. And I had no idea what the heck (laughs) this was about until maybe we talked about this maybe a year ago, because I always had the term guest house in my head. Well, they have lots of names. They're also known as uh, granny units, in-law units, secondary units. Casitas is popular out here in the, um, the western part of the world. Uh, and they're making a big push to build these in San Jose, and they're polling well when they refer to them as backyard cottages. Interesting. I Here in Arizona, I do hear the word casitas, and it's not uncommon to see them on, la- you would see them on larger, more uh, affluent areas, potentially. Um, yeah, there's a, another name for the ones that are particularly built over your garage. Do you know what those are called, Dave? Um, I do not know. Those are referred to as Fonzie units. For those. <laughs> <laughs> Named after the Fonz from Happy Days who lived above the garage, right? Exactly, with uh, the Cunninghams. Pretty interesting. So um, I, I've got a little bit of ex- experience with this as I was prepping today. Um, because this is not my area of expertise. You're in the construction business and know a lot more about this. But I thought about this, and I actually, um, uh, my wife's uncle lived in one of these places, and uh, he's from South Florida, and uh, he had a fairly modest income. He was a taxi driver for the majority of his adult life before he retired, and he lived in an older section of Fort Lauderdale, uh, and um, the the lots were bigger there. And I don't know what the heck this place was, but he was able to rent this place on a taxi driver's salary. And it was a pretty nice place. I, I'm guessing it was like 600 square feet, but it was a back building on a larger lot, you know, older lots. This house was probably developed sometime in the 1950s and had a fairly substantial lot compared to my lot from the 1980s. And it was a, it was a nice place. Yeah, my uh, in-laws are planning to live in one as part of their retirement. Um, uh, they sold their uh, uh, their house in Southern California and moved to Texas to be near one of my sisters-in-law. And the eventual plan is to live in a casita on a, a big lot they bought uh, with a brand new custom house. The casita hasn't been built yet, but they ran the utilities out, I, I think. And I don't know, prepared the pad. I don't even think there's concrete there yet. But the idea is when they are no longer prepared or interested in living in their uh, own home, they'd be able to live immediately adjacent to one of their kids. And that's a super idea because the other, so I told you about my, my wife's uncle, and he had a really, it was a fantastic apartment and, and, and cheap, very nice area. The other thing that we looked at was, um, uh, my mom, who's now going to be 92 this year, I'd really love to have one of these ADUs on, on my property. When she moved out here about 15 years ago now, we looked at the 
we looked at selling our home and getting a bigger home with these areas. But my mom, she's a very independent lady and didn't want to kind of live in that kind of style. And it would have been, been problematic because I'm not sure I could have, have swung the whole mortgage myself, if you will. So you're getting sticky money issues, right? But yeah, that is one of the challenges in getting these built because uh, you're mixing rental property with uh, regular old residential properties. So there's not a lot of uh, financing options. Yeah, we, we around where I live, um, there are some older style properties that have uh, like acre lots, if you will. And some of those homes would already have a casita. Most, most people use the term casita or guest house built in and we we looked at those um, but my mom didn't really want to do it she ended up moving into our neighborhood and she lives just a few doors down so it's actually pretty close but now she has to have you know help pretty much around the clock it would be nice to have that luckily my sister was able to move out and kind of kind of be with her but I can really see to the point you made with your relatives is to have that age in place kind of thing where you can be close to family that can take care of you. It makes it super easy. So you're not having to drive across town or stop on the way to work or uh, make a separate trip to go see them. Yeah. And if you think about the way we live, if you had five or 600 square feet with a small kitchen, that would be plenty of space for one person. Uh, Particularly if you had access to a bigger house where some of your family lived and there was a dining room and a kitchen and all that good stuff for Thanksgiving and uh, three or four times a year when you you do need a big dining room, things like that. Yeah, in, in a way, you know, I'll use my mom as an example. We have a four-bedroom house and she has, a, she has the three-bedroom house in the neighborhood and it's she'll come over to our house pretty much every day. Back when she was more mobile, she'd come over every day. She'd eat dinner with us and then when she was done with dinner, she'd go back to her house. It, was, it worked, you know, perfectly like that. I, I think it, that would be a fantastic age-in-place kind of opportunity. Yeah, here in California, they're trying to push these as one of the solutions to the housing crisis. Um, and it's it's a wonderful idea because they are what you'd call naturally affordable housing as opposed to public housing or subsidized housing where it's just kind of a lottery where people sell them below cost, you can build these much cheaper. And since people manage them in their spare time, uh, you don't have the same kind of overhead you do on on bigger housing projects. Yeah. Since you and I talked about this about a year ago, I, I've seen it in the news lately, a lot of news uh, from California where different municipalities are making it easier for people in single family homes to um, create these accessory dwelling units. And I think there's like three kinds, if I, re- if I got this correct. One, you can build in the, somehow make it out of the current house, maybe have a separate entranceway. Yeah, they call um, those junior units in California. And then some I've seen as I was doing research, you build onto the existing home, so they're linked to the existing home, but they have a separate entranceway generally. And then the last one, which I normally think of, we call them casitas out here, would be a little house or, or a little um, structure removed from the main house that would have its own entrance and maybe a, a walkway through a, through the side yard or something like that to get to. Yeah, in California, basically the state has stepped in and required that if they meet certain requirements, they have to be approved by the local planning group. Um, 
as you know, I'm a planning commissioner here, and occasionally we see them come across as part of a bigger project, and our instructions are now, well, you can't really comment on these. We had to approve them at staff level. Um, and to qualify, they have to have a separate entrance, so you can't just sneak an addition to your house in. So that means that a municipality in California can't block an uh, accessory dwelling unit then. Is that true? Essentially. Uh, they have to have clear rules. Um, uh, I was looked into it because I was excited by the idea, but you still can't overbuild your property. So mm -hmm. since my house, including all the outbuildings, is built to the maximum, um, I wouldn't be able to add one. Um, I thought it would be a way to sneak some extra square footage onto your property, but it doesn't work that way. I got you. I looked in my city. I live in the city of Tempe, which is a suburb of Phoenix. And I, if I'm reading it correctly, and I did spend some time this morning, you have to have a 10,000 square foot lot to have one. And so I wouldn't qualify because my lot size is like 7,300 square feet. It's kind of on the small side. and But there are some lots in my neighborhood that are big enough because there's a, a couple folks that are on kind of on a cul-de-sac where they have a big pie-shaped lot that already have casitas built in. Those are some of the homes that we were looking at you know, 15 years ago, my mom moved out to see if um, we could get something like that because they have substantial lots in a, you know, in our, what I call it, uh, development, you know, style neighborhood, if you will. Yeah, one of these, uh, one of the ways these were blocked before was that they would require extra parking for them and separate utility hookups, all of which can make them prohibitively expensive. And now here the state stepped in and say, you can't make those requirements. Yeah, I was reading about that as well, is that the parking was the really hard thing, is, is requiring parking for these things like a regular apartment building was the big sticking point. Yeah, so those have been pushed back. You still have problems with things like setbacks. You know, if it's going to be a separate house, it can't be hard up against the property, property line, so that can be challenging. Um, and unfortunately, it probably can cause some friction with your neighbors if it's looking into their yard. Yeah, I could see that you wouldn't want that at all. I I was reading the rules for my city, and basically it, you have to have the 10,000-square-foot lot, and it has to meet all the other requirements, like you said, like the setback and all the other building requirements. But if you've got a reasonably-sized lot, then you could you can go ahead and do something like that. Yeah, and out here, they're still pretty expensive to build. Um, what's amazing, though, is I think the average price – for building one in my county runs something like $300,000. Wow. Which sounds like a lot of money, I agree, but the average cost of building a below market income unit is almost $700,000. So it's less than half as much. That is a good deal. Yeah, and each homeowner is going to carefully vet their their tenants. So it's uh, probably more desirable in a, in a low density neighborhood to have your moderate uh, moderately priced housing managed that way because the owner is going to be there on site and is not is going to be careful about who he or she lets in as a renter right still a challenge though now you're becoming a developer um, and probably for the first and last time in your life so you have to go figure out all these things that the professionals know and uh, it can be pretty challenging I'll bet huh yeah and, and as we mentioned, part of the problem is uh, there's no real way to finance this. Um, 
because to borrow the money, you have to have an appraisal indicating that the mo- um, the bank will get their money back, right? The banks only loan you money when you don't need it. Um, and so there's three ways that properties are appraised. And the, what they tell you in uh, for income property, rental property, two of those three ways don't count. So um, the three ways are replacement cost, how much it would cost to build another one for new construction if it were to burn down or whatever. Um, the other one is comparable sales, which is how you normally judge your house or my house, how much did a similar house sell for. But for income property, you take the net income from the property and uh, take the time value of money and collapse it back. Um, and with rental property, residential rental property, you usually discount that. Even if you have a lease in place, they discount it by 25% because when you switch tenants, you will have some vacancy with no income. So the last thing a bank ever want to do is, is foreclose on you. So typically you can't use your income from an accessory unit as part of your income for bank reasons until you've had the unit for something like three years. Hmm. Yeah, which isn't very helpful when you go out to build it. Gotcha. So I don't really have any experience with this. How are I think you know some people who have done this. How are they f- getting financing? Are they doing like a home equity line of credit on their existing home? home, home, home? Uh, yes. So mostly people either have existing cash savings or they do a mm-hmm. cash out refinance of their regular house or they use their home equity line of credit. Gotcha. Problem is that doesn't help your moderate income person who might want to do this. I mean, there's a lot of older people in California who have small houses on big lots who could actually use the income to support their lifestyle and help make it a win-win for everybody, but they can't borrow the money. That sounds like a business idea. Yeah, there's a, a group out here in uh, Santa Clara, uh, the Housing Trust, and they're experimenting with something where they will make loans for two years specifically to address this uh, if you promise to keep it uh, moderately priced for the next five years. Hmm. And then you could get a loan through this uh, housing trust. Uh, housing trust. Build your accessory dwelling unit, get get it uh, occupied, and then you pay, them, you pay them back? Yes. You'd refinance with a regular probably refinance your whole property, including that as part of your income. Got it. But you have to have three years of income to let most lenders conclude that income on uh, with everything else? That's my understanding. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. The bright side is there's a lot of people out here who have lots and lots of home equity and can borrow against that. I would think in California, just because the huge appreciation that folks have seen over the last... 20 years or so that people would probably do the cash out refinance or the home equity line of credit to do something. Yeah. There's a organization out here in San Mateo County. They call themselves 21 elements and uh, they do a lot of stuff to try and help support housing. The 21 elements are the 21 different jurisdictions in the County, including the town I live in Belmont, for instance, and they have staff that just helps them meet their housing goals. And so they've produced something, a calculator that helps you figure out what it might cost to build one of these and what the rent might come up with. And uh, I ran through it, just throwing some numbers at it for a 600 square foot, one bathroom, one bedroom, 
uh, freestanding one, and they estimated that if you could come up with a hundred thousand dollars down, your income after expenses, including your interest on your loan, would be six hundred seventy-two dollars a month. Uh, your construction costs would be just about two hundred and thirty thousand, including all your soft costs, and it would take nine years to earn back your cash investment. Um, and that the increase in your home value would be one hundred and seventy-nine thousand dollars. Hmm. Doesn't seems like a pretty good deal if you can earn it back in nine years. Yeah, and I think these numbers are pretty conservative. Uh, one of my coworkers built one of these in Santa Clara and uh, he had to get some waivers to do it but um, he built a garage with a unit over it and uh, he's cash flow positive immediately um, Wow yeah I'm trying to remember the size of the unit but he's getting well over two thousand dollars a month in rent for it Wow yeah prices are nuts here. That's a lot. Then how do you know how he financed? I don't. I didn't ask him that question. I'm going to bet it was a home equity line of credit. Gotcha. Which are, you know, today I think they're right they're right below 6%, so it's not super expensive, but it's not super cheap like it was 2 or 3 years ago when those when they're hanging out down below 4%. Yeah, so it seems to me if you're planning to stay in your house for a while and it works out to be cash flow positive, you should go ahead and do it. I would see some, you might find some unusual situations where it lowered the value of your house, but I don't think so. I think everybody has, I'm pretty sure everybody at least had parents and many people have adult children who they would like to not actually be in their house. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be a wonderful idea. I could only see, see it adding to the value of your house. Like I said, we we looked at we looked at doing this and thought pretty hard about it. I ran some numbers, but it was something like my mom just didn't want to do that. She wanted to live in her own place. But it was it's certainly if you have aging parents, it would certainly be super helpful to have them right there on the premises. Um, yeah, one thing I think they're struggling with in local communities is this idea of uh, Airbnbs. Um, they really don't want people to build them to use as hotel rooms. Ah, gotcha. I could see the desire to do that. Yeah, so they put some rules on the books uh, in each municipality, or, or a lot of them. I think they're struggling with how to enforce that. Hmm. They're trying to put some pressure on Airbnb to enforce it. Gotcha. There's been some, I know there's been some recent Airbnb kind of goings on. My daughter lives in New York City and there was a, a, a landlord who bought a bunch of places recently and got busted for uh, renting all these places out for Airbnb and breaking the rules. Uh, so very, very interesting. I could see this being an enticement for somebody who had some extra cash to finance these things and then rent them out. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not the, well, that's not the planning intent of it. The planning intent is to provide moderately priced housing for regular people. Uh, uh, yeah, agreed. And I, like the example I had with my, my wife's uncle, he, that's where he lived. He lived in the same place for 20 years. It was a, you know, pretty nice, 
apartment and the guy who owned the main house you know loved having him as a tenant because he was easygoing didn't create any problems and had all that extra income and um irv had a you know great place to stay and he could afford it on a taxi driver's wages yeah i'm actually going to propose at work that we help our employees provide these and my thought on it is housing is so expensive around here we have a very hard time attracting our own employees if we were to offer that even at market rate uh nearby where our office is to uh new new hires particularly young people out right out of school it would be attractive for them uh our our employees who provided the casita would have um reliable tenants we knew you know that they were employed and uh, there might even be some carpooling benefit to it. And uh, we're a construction company that's experimenting with uh, prefabricating buildings. So we could use it as an innovation hack to uh, make the world a better place using the talents we have. Hmm, that's interesting. So y- you guys are thinking about maybe doing some prefab. Would you get in this market space where you're doing some prefab for accessory dwelling units? Well, it's interesting. It's a little small for what we do, but we cuz you guys do big you guys do big buildings like schools and stuff like that, right? Yes. But we have built as part of a mixed-use project. We ended up building this very small 8-unit um below market rate building. It was really two fourplex units connected by a breezeway, and because of the nature of the project, we ended up fabricating the walls and the floors and the roof off-site and then putting them up very quickly. Um, So this would just be a smaller version of that. Um, And we have, in the past couple of years, we built a a tiny house. I don't know if you're familiar with that as part of a charity project. Hmm. I've seen that. My my wife loves to watch those uh, home shows on TV, and I think one of the home shows talks about tiny homes or very small homes i've seen some of those shows it's pretty amazing what you can put in some of these places that are 300 square feet or less maybe in some cases yeah we built that as part of a charity project in partnership with one of our clients a a, a school district and um it, it was pretty interesting um got a lot of good press for it but at the same time we also did there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with a nonprofit called Ronald McDonald House that provides housing for the families of six children at the children's hospitals. I'm familiar. There's one here at uh, Banner Desert Hospital that's kind of the hospital where my family would, would go to, and they've got one on the premises there. Yeah, their big fundraiser here is they have architecture, contractor, engineer teams build these playhouses and then they put them up, uh, they display them at the big at the shopping mall at Stanford, and then they auction them off at a, at a grand gala to raise money for the Ronald McDonald House. And we built one of those. I certainly think it's a, a market there. Um, and you know me, I think prefab houses are the way to go. It'll be the wave of the future, and people are working on it, but uh, it's got to be way cheaper than building on-site construction. Yeah, and my thought was if we could come up with a design what we'd use it for, you're a manufacturing guy, Dave, is we'd use it to fill shifts when um, we're working on bigger projects, and then you could stockpile them. Use it for use it for downtime. Exactly. Hmm. That's pretty. That's a pretty interesting idea. Yeah, I don't know if it would ever pay off, but uh, I think it's worth looking into. 
I think the the thing in my mind is is you'd have to have a standard thing. It'd have to be cheaper, and you'd make it cheaper for people to put up this thing in their larger yard, if you would, to bring the bring the cost down. But in- interesting concept. Yeah, what we've observed mostly in this prefab thing is it doesn't save much money, but it saves a lot of time and a lot of headache. So if we had one that was already designed and had been approved by at least one jurisdiction and we could minimize the impact on the family and their neighbors, it, it might even be worth a premium. But if we could keep the cost competitive, I mean, $300,000 is a lot of money for 600 square feet. That is, it strikes me as pretty expensive. Yeah. And if, if it could help us with the housing costs for our own employees, it would be a win, 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 win. And we, we rarely um, recruit outside of Northern California anymore. Even, even trying to hire uh, new grads from Southern California, the cost of housing is so shocking when they come up here. We frequently have them give up and quit and go home. Yeah, it, it is a... Uh it is an expensive place to live <laughs> compared to Phoenix. Uh, I know you sent me an article about people, uh, Phoenix, Arizona advertising in that area of the country to come out to Phoenix. It is way cheaper to live out here, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that was funny. Some uh, Phoenix Chamber of Commerce type group has hired three vans with uh, talking about low housing costs and the benefits of Phoenix to drive around the Bay Area trying to uh, steal our engineering talent. Uh, it's wonderful in the wintertime. You better check out in the summer to make sure you can deal with it. Uh, yes. But boy, it uh, seems like Phoenix is a hotbed of creativity in the housing space. There was a very interesting article in um, the Wall Street Journal this week comparing Zillow's efforts and what is it called? DreamPad? There's three different people out there trying to automate home buying. Hmm. Interesting. I had not, I did not see that. I have to check that out. Yeah, maybe we could make that the topic of a of a future episode. Because um, all of them, for whatever reason, are in Phoenix. I think because there's a pretty, uh, pretty big supply of fairly comparable properties. So the big value add is using uh, an algorithm to make the housing, um, the offers on the housing without having to uh, go visit the properties with a trained appraiser, basically. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like I live in a uh, huge housing community here that was built in the late 80s. It's almost like a mile by a mile by a mile squared. And there's some differences because it's built over, I think, a course for five or six years. But there's a lot of the floor plans are almost, you know, identical. So there's a one three bedroom, there's two four bedrooms, there's one five bedroom place. And they're pretty much identical with the fascia differences is the only difference, really. Right. But um You've you've been on Zillow. You can see they they know when the house was built, what the um, uh, the appraised value is for tax not appraised, excuse me, the assessed value is for tax purposes. And you can look on uh, Google Maps and get a drive by of it and see what the the facade looks like. Yeah, it's a, it'd, be, it'd be an interesting idea. So we should, yeah, it'd be a good topic for a future discussion. Yeah, because it seems like just like Carvana or CarMax will make you a sight unseen offer on your used car as soon as you list it. I think you could get three offers on your house today, uh, literally today, from these automated things. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, make you feel richer. I think I've seen something. Yeah, I think I, I think I've seen something advertised on TV. I've been paying attention to what the name is. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So. 
So eight ADUs for or against? Uh, definitely four. Um, and when I buy my next house, I'm going to make sure it has the capability to add one or already has one in place. I think it's a great idea. So definitely four. I, I hadn't really thought about it until I was about uh, 40 or so, but it's definitely something that I'll talk to other people about to say, hey, it, it could be a good life planning thing for a you know, a, a relative, a mom or dad or something like that. Um, and, and if uh, it'd be great, too, if you could rent out to a responsible person could help defray the cost your, of your yeah, main place. Yeah, and it could be a long-term uh, plan for yourself. Uh, if you have kids, maybe they'll buy the big house and you live in the small house. That's a wonderful idea. I saw that when I was researching, and some people have done that. They flipped and just live in the small place. And somebody, their other relative lives right. in the big say, place. Right. Say, here, kids, you mow the lawn and paint the big house, and uh, I'll give you a break on the, uh, the financing. Right on. Good idea. All right. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, Dave. I will talk to you soon. Everybody out there, remember, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions, comments, uh, you want to uh, critique, Dave's mic style, send us an email at uh, Dave Squared Podcast at uh, gmail.com. All right, take care. care.